Welcome to Waterbrook Church, located in Victoria, Minnesota. Our new series in Luke called Glorious Disruption, being taught by our senior pastor, Kevin Dibley, is about when Jesus shows up and turns everyone's world upside down. We believe this study of God's word is about to turn many people's lives completely around. It may be even upside down because that's what happens in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus comes to people who are absolutely stunned and amazed by him, and they are profoundly and gloriously changed forever. Let's begin by praying that this happens here at Waterbrook and beyond for our joy and amazement in Jesus. Let's worship together. Um, John started out this morning um, by telling us that we just need to see Jesus together. And the songs that we've been singing talk about seeing Jesus. Thanks, Johnny. And um, Waterbrook has a mission statement and one of the primary elements, we're actually spending like a year and a half on it, is that Waterbrook seeks to be a gospel-centered, multi-ethnic family. And the first line is, that is captivated by Jesus. And so, um, thank you for helping us be captivated by Jesus. And um, it's an honor to have you here. It's an honor. Um, we deal with addictions all the time. We're all addicted. Just so you know, we're all addicted. We just choose. Some of us choose uh, more socially acceptable addictions, but not in God's sight. There's only one addiction that gives life, and that's Jesus Christ. That's what we mean by being captivated by Jesus. Thank you, sister. So this is what we want to, here's a little thought I had while you were singing and while we were together and testifying, and I just want to thank you for being honest and being transparent. Um, ladies, if you're struggling, like the rest of us, I would encourage you to read the Gospel of Luke. And the reason why I encourage you, we're studying Luke forever here. <laughs> it's taking us forever to get through. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Um, when you study the Gospel of Luke, watch Jesus with women. Uh, he is radically different than everybody else. And if you want to see him get hot, fire, watch when women are mistreated. Watch who shows up at the tomb after the resurrection. Like Luke is writing very specifically, very specifically, to say that the outsider is an insider with Jesus that the kingdom of God is like right upside down. And we don't get it. We can't see it. We've churchified it, <laughs> or whatever you want to, Christianized it, or uh, whatever we've done, but it's way different than that. Now this morning I'm going to talk to all of us. I want to talk to our church family, and the subject we're going to talk about in Luke, if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke uh, chapter 14. And... Uh, I'm going to spend a few minutes with you. This is our discipleship time, uh, part of our discipleship time as a church family. It's our worship time. Um, I'm going to talk to you about the sin of spiritual pride. Uh, the sin of spiritual pride. I just want to make an announcement. This is an infectious disease and you have it. Every one of us has it. We got it from our great-great-great-grandfather and our great-great-grandmother, Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve said, 
or responded to the serpent who said, you can be like God, knowing good and evil. You can handle it. You can be your own God. Uh, You don't need anybody else, and you know, we all know where that leads us, not to a good place. Uh, When we get spiritual pride in our lives, a lot of things go off the rails. And um, the kingdom of God is really upside down, opposite of almost everything that you anticipate when you think religion. Jesus has to save us from our addiction to religion. On uh, the evening of July 16th, in 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. flew his Piper Saratoga to attend the wedding of his uh, cousin Rory. She was marrying Mark Bailey at uh, Hannesport, Massachusetts. The plane uh, carried uh, Kennedy's wife, um, Carolyn Bissett, and his sister-in-law, Lauren Bissett, As they were heading out, Kennedy checked in with air traffic control, the tower at Martha's Vineyard, and he headed out. And as he passed um, Point Judith, Rhode Island, Kennedy decided to head directly towards Martha's Vineyard. Instead of following the coastline, which would have given him visible sight of lights on the ground, he chose the shorter direct path over a 30-mile stretch of open water. Now, according to the FAA Airplane Flying Handbook, crossing large bodies of water at night can be very hazardous, not only because you have nowhere to ditch your plane if it runs into trouble, you have to go into the water, but the featureless horizon visually blends with the water, so it's an optical illusion. At about um, 9.41, uh, John F. Kennedy Jr.'s plane crashed, nearly nosedived into the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, The National Transportation Safety Board declared that the probable cause of Kennedy's crash was the pilot's failure to maintain control of the plane during a descent over water at night, which was a result of spatial orientation. Spatial orientation. So here's what can happen if you're a pilot and you can't, you can't uh, judge where you are based on lights or landmarks. You can begin to go into a bend and your inner ear, which gives you balance, can adjust. And suddenly you think you're flying level, but you're not. You think you're all right, but you're not. You can actually get upside down and backwards. And then suddenly you make a move which you think is meant to adjust or go in the direction you ought to go, and you're overcompensating. And what happened with John F. Kennedy Jr., most likely, is he thought he was pulling up and he was going down. He thought he was correcting and he was actually overcorrecting in the wrong direction. That's what spatial disorientation is. And in Luke chapter uh, 14, the religious leaders of Jesus' day are suffering from spatial disorientation. They think they're up, 
but they're going down. They think they're doing all right, but they're in grave danger. And it comes out in a scene where they are testing Jesus. And Jesus has multiple encounters with the Pharisees, goes to their home three times, talks about what you should do on the Sabbath. This is a Sabbath day. Third time he has meals, third time. This is the last time in Luke's gospel. So this is a momentous occasion where Jesus is confronting the religious leaders. They're confronting him. But he, let me tell you something about the kingdom of God. Down is up. That's what the Bible teaches. You must humble yourself. Down is up. The only way to glory is the cross. Right? The only way Jesus ascends to the crown is by him going and being crucified on the cross. In Luke's gospel, Jesus has said, he is, or Luke has written, Jesus has his face set towards Jerusalem. That's where he's going. And here's the, why spiritual pride is dangerous for all of us, and I say all of us, because when we have any even inkling that we have it together, that we are better than somebody else, we automatically elevate ourselves and we crash and burn because we've been called to serve one another, to follow Christ and share the hope of the gospel. And if there is a nuance of adjustment, the worst thing that can happen to us is that our inner spiritual ears get accustomed to our self-righteousness. And we think we're okay. Thank God Jesus interrupts that. Aren't you glad Jesus interrupts that? And, uh, you know, we're not free of it. None of us are um, immune to it. I would guess, Teen Challenge ladies, that you have suffered from it on your way to Waterbrook this morning. Just get it. Talk about a one-year. You know what a one-year vacation with your family would mean? The end of your family <laughs> left to yourself, right? A bus ride out to Waterbrook on a Sunday morning when you're tired, you went out late because you got a pass last night. What is the matter with people, right? Have you thought that this morning? What is the matter? You hear somebody give their testimony, and you go, do you know what they did yesterday, last week? I'll tell you what we did. We sinned, but we have a Savior Andrew Byers uh, was working campus ministry. I think he was in North Carolina, he was working campus ministry. And one of the things he discovered amongst the young adults that were in university, at the university that he was at, that he was ministering to, is that a large number of young adults with a Christian background were becoming disillusioned with their faith, becoming highly cynical. Um, let me just stop and say this. Um, because he doesn't include it in um, his writing on this, but I want to come back to a comment about sexual abuse um, that was made in one of the testimonies that is catastrophically way higher than any of us imagine. And thank God Jesus sees and knows and cares. And so thank you for saying that. But, uh, you know, Jesus sees you and cares about you. And he will fix it, ultimately make it right. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of college 
men and women who are cynical about their faith because of sexual abuse. And that's probably an undiscussed element. But in his book, Faith Without Illusions, Following Jesus as a Cynic Saint, he gives several reasons why young adults are cynical about Christianity. One is idealism. And by idealism is they became Christians and thought it would get better. They became Christians and thought people would be better. They became Christians and they thought the church would be better. And their ideal, idealistic notions of what the Christian life came crashing down because they went to church, not heaven. They were with Christians in the process, not Christians in perfection. Secondly, religiosity. People were... Families were, parents were, pastors were, one way at church and very different outside church. A form of religion, but denying its power. He wrote uh, experientialism. Um, you get in a group of people, and they say you should be healed if you have enough faith. You should have blessing if you had enough faith. You shouldn't be addicted if you have enough faith. Whatever it is, you shouldn't have problems. And they watch these miracles happening to everybody else but them, supposedly. And this experiential experience doesn't match with their experience because the road is hard, people don't show up, you're disappointed, and if this is what God is like, no thank you, right? Another one is anti-intellectualism. Christians don't want to ask the tough questions don't want to discuss the difficult issues and there's no place to talk about these things except outside of Christianity. And the last one he has is cultural irrelevance. In church, everybody looks Amish. It's not a slight on the Amish. <laughs> but they look like they have no idea what's really happening in the real world. Trafficking. Addiction, hypocrisy, Ukraine. The news is awful, and we're living in a cocoon. Now, the danger that Andrew Byer says that happens is that inside, this is, this is, our, this is what Satan did to Adam and Eve. We get cynical. Cynic, being a cynic which we easily become, is a form of destructive pride. It's destructive pride. It's not that you're not wrong about the issues around you. The reality is the issues are within you. They're not a problem with a certain sector of the population, of a certain people group or race, a certain urban or versus non-urban population. You know this in Teen Challenge, Sin comes from every corner of Minnesota. Every social status. It's everywhere. And the great need that we all have is not to sit and point the finger, but to point together to the only answer, who is Jesus Christ? Right? Without Christ, we cannot be helped. So, so here's the thing. When we come to Luke chapter 14, this text of scripture, let me, let me say that the best way to hear this is to look nowhere but between you and Jesus. 
or you don't hear it right. <laughs> so I, if you don't mind, I'm going to preach just with me and Jesus over, <laughs> over here. So let, let's look at Luke 14, and I want to show you something. Here's the first thing I'm going to point out to you, the cruelty of spiritual pride. It's cruel. Uh, so listen to Luke 14, 1. On one Sabbath, so it's a Sabbath day, when he went to dine at the house of the ruler of the Pharisees, got who he's with? This is not nobody. This is the big wheel amongst the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. <laughs> In the Greek language here, they were ready to pounce on him. Okay? So this is not a uh, time with buddies. This is not just a nice conversation. This is a setup. And it's just going to get worse because Jesus is on his way to the cross. Verse 2, it says, And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Now here, here's, I just want to stop and say this. The way the language reads here is, this man who is suffering physically has been brought in in order to trap Jesus. And, I, and Waterbrook, I, I want to say this. Here's the problem with spiritual pride. It's not simply because you're working out the issue between you and someone you're struggling with. The, the reality is there's people around you who God is intending you to see and you can't see because you're fighting over some issue of arrogance some rightness, some appropriateness. You walk into church and you're, you're sitting in the cynic seat and you forgot that the person behind you just buried their dad or their mom or their child or the person beside you. You have no idea what the story was of their last week and you're not even looking because you got Jesus there or you got somebody there like these guys and you got a person in front of you. That person is in trouble and you don't care because you're trapping Jesus. You're going to catch somebody. The problem with spiritual pride is it takes us off the mission God's given us, which is we have to see and minister to the broken and the wounded, and they're right beside us. I might sound a little stronger today, but let me just be real honest. Uh, I have a very direct experience with dropsy. This is a disease. It's not a disease, it's a it's a consequence of disease that I have personal experience with. Dropsy is edema. If you have suffered from edema, you can get it from medications. Uh, you can get edema from mild problems. You get edema if you have um, congenital heart failure. You have edema, you can get edema if you have cancer and your organs are failing. So the last picture I have of Faith, she's sitting on the deck of a log cabin that friends of ours in Wisconsin owned and we're looking out over Lake Superior. It was taken, I'm sure, I don't look at it very often. In fact, I probably couldn't find it today. I could find it eventually, but She's very thin. She's, she dies a week later. But she's sitting there, and she looks thin. What you don't, wouldn't see in the picture is her legs are huge. So for the last part of her life, here's the added difficulty. She was a nurse. 
so she understood what was going on. But every day, multiple times in the day, I would have to wrap her legs. So I had styrofoam, or my daughters had to do it. But every day we would wrap this sort of, I didn't know what it was, but it was a styrofoamy feeling around her legs so that they wouldn't swell too much, followed by tensor bandages. And she would try to walk. She most of the time used a wheelchair. She could walk if we stabilized her and walked along. And as I read this text of scripture, I want to say, the ruler of the house of the Pharisees is pulling a guy in who's suffering from that in order to make a point to Jesus. Spiritual pride is cruel. That's the cruelty. Because we don't care what's happening to the person beside us. We just want to be right and self-righteous and elevate ourselves. And so listen to what happens here in this text. It says, and there was a man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent because it was a setup. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. They took him and healed him and sent him away. Jesus took him, sorry, and healed him and sent him away. That, that seems really simplistic, but just try for a second to be in that scene. Jesus is looking at the religious leader, the ruler of the Pharisees, and he says, can I heal this guy on the Sabbath or not? Now, why is he there? Why is that man with edema, with dropsy, sitting there? Why why is he in that place? Because they know Jesus can heal them, and they know he will heal them. Heal him. How, how, How spiritually blind can we be? That we know the one... They didn't have a whole lot of guys running around healing guys with dropsy. Only Jesus was capable of doing that. But instead of wanting to see this man relieved, they wanted to get rid of Jesus who was confronting them with their religiosity, confronting them with their hypocrisy, confronting them with their lack of... They wanted him silenced. They ultimately wanted him dead. Now it's interesting. Jesus just heals the man. And he sends him away. Uh, Thank God he sends him away. That's a significant move. The language um, that when it says he let him go is the language of he released him. (laughs) You can get out of this room right now, right? Just get out of here. You want freedom, saving, right? That's what he's saying. Go and be free. (laughs) You you don't have to dance for these clowns. You didn't say that. I would have said that. (laughs) You don't have to do that here. You can go. And he released the man. Now, I I just wanted to spend a little time this morning and say you and I need to pray over any part of spiritual self-righteousness and pride if it starts. If you're driving in to Waterbrook Church with your family or with your team, And you start to think, why are they leading? Who are they? All that kind of stuff. Man, go after that. That's satanic. 
Because the moment you start to see other people's sins, you stop seeing your sin. The moment you stop seeing your sin, you stop seeing your need of Jesus, and you stop seeing people around you that God sent you to minister to. See people. I've been in too many church meetings in my history where the people are yapping about whatever's bothering them and they don't realize there's a senior saint or a bleeding saint beside them going, what's happening here? You have to see. So let me just uh, give you a couple of corrections. I'm going to try to motor here. Uh, Here's what happens if we don't deal with our spiritual pride. Number one, I'm making Andy work. He has no idea where I am in the PowerPoint back there. <laughs> he was probably, he's probably relieved I'm going as fast as I am because there's a lot of slides. We stopped seeing people as being made in the image of God. John talked a bit about this last week. C.S. Lewis says, you have never met <laughs> a mere mortal. Do you understand right now you're sitting in a room of eternal souls made in the image of the living God? Ladies, if I preached all day long with the best language I ever could find, you would never know how precious you are to God. You might have heard the opposite message and you might have been treated like you were a piece of dirt or something be thrown away. That ticks your father off, your savior off. We have to deal with spiritual pride or we'll stop seeing people the way God sees people, the way Christ sees people. Secondly, we will stop feeling our own pronounced misery and we'll stop marveling at Christ's incredible mercy towards sinners like us. You know what drives our mission as a church? It's amazement at the gospel. If you get over the gospel... If you get over the fact that Jesus loves you every day despite your sin, that he has finished the work on the cross for you because you could not finish it yourself, that you don't have to fix yourself. You don't even have to find yourself. He found you. He sought you and bought you. That doesn't stun you, right? The moment spiritual pride comes in, What's the matter with you? We forget all these fingers pointing back at what's the matter with me. So um, it's quite possible right now my mom and dad are watching online. They watch almost every week. And I think they shut it off. They're up in Canada. They're down in Canada. They're south of here. They're in Canada and they shut it off and I'm sure they look at each other and go, they could go, hypocrite. Because they raised me. (laughs) But they have to go. Nothing's impossible with God. Really. It it may not be they ever hear anything I say, but they turn on the TV and say, wow, God still saves sinners. I had a rough go as a teenager. That's enough of that. But 
But you and I can't lose the marvel every Sunday when we walk in and when we walk out that the God of the universe so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to save Kevin Dibley, to save you. Put your name in there. He did it. That should stun us every week. And in fact, you're stunned by God and your eyes are on Jesus. You'll find it a lot easier through the tears to see the people that are around you with the eyes of Christ. Um, We stop seeking mercy for people who are obviously in great need because we're seeking religious applause for ourselves. It's one of the problems with spiritual pride is that it, it's more than just seeing people, it's helping people, it's caring for people, it's listening to the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of our sisters early on talked about when you stop listening to the Holy Spirit, where that leads you. It can lead you to look like you have no addictions but you're in church every Sunday and you're not helping anyone in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not on mission for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're you're miserable most likely because how can you be in joy without walking with Jesus? But that's one of the dangers. We end up wanting to have a better feeling about ourselves. Affirmation, I went to church, I did pray, I did my devotions, I read the Bible, check, 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 check. That's not where the joy is. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We stop caring for people after they've been healed and cured. Waterbrook, our calling, second, you know, part of our mission statement is we are called to make disciples to the glory of God. That's why you do your not only the length of your program, but if people want to do leadership training at the end of it, what's our goal? Our goal is not to get you just sober. Our goal is to get you back alive on on mission for God, living the life that you've been created to live. And we've been called to disciples. So if you don't see somebody in the first place, you won't see them through to the end. The church exists because it's hard. The The temptations come, the trials come, the battle... Friends, when you get out of Teen Challenge, you know this. They probably tell you this every day. The battle doesn't stop when you walk out the door. It starts. And every day I'm texting with brothers who are fighting the battle. We have a lot of men who travel. As they're traveling, we're texting, fight the good fight, brother. I'm praying for you now. That's what we need. We need people to follow up. Jesus didn't let the man stay. He said, you can go, because the last place he needed to be was to start breathing the air of criticism and self-righteousness. And then, last thing I want to say is a danger here, is we become increasingly calloused and cruel because we're blind to our spiritual pride, feeling justified. This, to put it in biblical terms, this is called the hardening of the heart. You can actually be around people who desperately need Jesus and be totally indifferent to them. And that's why Jesus cannot be that way here. So let me quickly, quickly now, show you the cure. Jesus asked two questions. Jesus responded in verse 3, look at verse 3, to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? So Jesus asked a legal question because that's their language. They're lawyers. They, is it 
allowable to heal on the Sabbath or not. And there were great debates. There were great debates amongst the Jewish people because there are hierarchies of law. It says in verse 4, but they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? I think that's a moral, personal question. So the first question is, they, they had laws about rescuing your ox. And you, you, couldn't, you couldn't, if you saw your neighbor's ox fall into a ditch and you just walked away, that was against the Jewish law. So the rabbis were debating, well, on the Sabbath day, do you have to help out? Right? Does that, which law has priority? So Jesus puts a legal question out to them, but he doesn't get an answer, and he's not waiting an answer. He heals the man. And in Luke's gospel, over and over again, on Sabbath days, Jesus will heal people. And in the earlier chapter, I think it's chapter 6, uh, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day, and we are taught in this and other gospels that Jesus does it as a demonstration that he is Lord of the Sabbath. They should be stunned. There's nobody but God who can do what Jesus just did. Jesus doesn't answer them with a principle. He answers them with a person, himself. He has the power to heal. He has the power, uniquely the power. The answer is A, who has the authority to make that decision? God. Who has the power to heal this man? God. Who am I? God. And he heals the man and shows compassion so we see the heart of God. The answer to the Sabbath is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he shows the compassion of God. You want to see what your father's like? Jesus says, he who has seen me has seen the Father. Those of you who go and say, man, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. He does all these things. Just slow down, slow down. Look at the Old Testament through Jesus. Change your whole vision. Jesus has come. And so he answers with himself. He answers with, he shows us not only his identity, he shows us the priority of his ministry. The priority of his Jesus ministry is to be a chain breaker. Right? To set the captives free, to open the eyes of the blind, to let the lame run for the first time. You've been walking with a limp. We did our walk for trafficking for all, the Alba House ministry yesterday, and, and Russ Morfitt was there, and he had a cast on. I said, you're going to walk this walk with that? He said, I'll go for a mile. He did the whole thing. You know, and I thought that's a great picture. There wasn't anybody out there who wasn't walking with a limp. Sin has wounded us all. The world is broken. We all carry the scars of it. And our God in heaven saw it and sent his son into the world to save sinners, to rescue the broken, to set the captives free. That's the heart of God. And, and then Jesus asks a personal question. It, it was debated amongst the rabbis of the day, so there's background to that. But Jesus says... Which of you, if it was your son or your ox, wouldn't rescue him? I want to ask you that question. Some of you ladies have said, it's probably a real helpful motivation, but it's one of your hardest pains how precious your kids are to you. How hard it is not to see your kids. So I have two daughters. The hardest, I talked to you about my wife dying. That was the hardest part 
for me of grief was watching my kids grieve. I have one that lives in Toronto and I have one that lives in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. Now I have grandchildren. Thank God for FaceTime because I can annoy them from a distance. <laughs> hmm. You have a heart? What if that person sitting beside you today was your son? What if that person sitting beside you today was your daughter? They're struggling. Maybe they're ticked off. Maybe they were mad you made them come to church. They're your kid. Do you love them? You hear what Jesus is doing here? He's not just showing us the law of God. He's showing us the heart of God. That son is here. That son is going to the cross. That God is sending that son into suffering. That father is doing that so that as Hebrews would say, he might bring many sons to glory. All those people streaming in, broken and wounded and bleeding behind Jesus are sons and daughters of the king. That's how he sees you. That's how he sees you. Doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You're his. To those who received him and believed on his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Okay. See? You guys got to do your thing. I got to do my thing. (laughs) But um, we really need God to do his thing. So let's just take a moment and repent. Not going to go there, Andy. I'm going to cut it off here. He's looking. I got a big slide after this, but we need to repent of our spiritual pride so that we can see the people around us and the mission God's given us for them. Okay? Got that? It's okay to repent because when we repent, we see how beautiful Jesus is. So let's pray. Father, um, there's nobody in this room. There's nobody in this room that I want to see, first of all, before I see you. Um, Forgive me. I've been ticked off at people because they didn't know better, they didn't act better, they didn't speak better. They didn't treat me the way I thought they should treat me. Justified my attitudes, justified my anger, harboring in my heart self-righteousness, believing you agreed with me. (laughs) I'm sorry. Father, would you show us Jesus? Thank you that he didn't treat me the way I deserve. That he bore my sin. That he took it away. That he went to the cross. Would you let me see people the way you see them? Through the eyes of the gospel. 
through the eyes of Calvary, through the eyes of the crucified, risen, and reigning King. Heal my eyes. Father, it's not the man that they brought in who was puffed up with fluid. The Pharisees were puffed up with pride. So come and heal our spiritual dropsy, our edema, so we can walk and run freely for Jesus. We love you. We need you. We always need you. We bless your name. Through Christ we pray. God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were able to seek, savor, and share the all-surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. If you'd like to find out more about our church, submit a prayer request, watch previous sermons, go to www.waterbrook.church. Have a blessed week.